Well, get your Bibles out and go to Ephesians chapter 1. Tonight, if you've read the, uh, the church, little church up there, we're talking about the doctrine of predestination. And I need to make a disclaimer because I know that the subject of doctrines is really not sexy. We're talking about doctrines by God. I mean, y'all are like, oh man, that sounds exciting. Exciting is going to the dentist, amen. Well, it's really awesome because what people believe affect you more than you think it does. There's a lot of things you guys believe. So I'm going to explain something to you that's happened in the earth. Even though we're going to talk about predestination and, and, uh, and Calvinism tonight and where it came from and what the doctrine is, don't think it's not affecting you. It is. When the charismatic renewal began, I want you to think that what a charismatic church is. They're Lutherans, Pentecostals, Baptist, Methodist, Catholics, Congregationalists, Presbyterians, all in one room. And you have no idea how many doctrines you guys have. And, and yet, that's the new charismatic movement we gathered together in non-denominational churches because of the move of the Spirit of God. But you guys brought a lot of doctrines with you. And some of them are right and some of them are not. And you got family members that are, that are in, in really steeped in stuff. And you don't know how to help them. You don't even know why they believe what they believe. But they're adamant by God it's the way it is. So I want to explain to you what it is, where it came from, and how it's affecting you today. So having said that, um, go to the Ephesians chapter 1. There is a doctrine in the earth today taught in churches called the doctrine of predestination. Now, this is what it says. This is the basis of the doctrine. Because God is sovereign. Now, he is a sovereign God, and we're going to get into that. It's not that God is or is not sovereign it's that the definition of sovereignty changed. In other words, the, the word sovereign, God is almighty God. He is sovereign. He, he brought Adam when he wanted to bring Adam, and, he, and he's going to end this thing when he wants to end it, and, and, and there's nothing you're going to do about it. There's, all you're praying in the world ain't changing any of that. God is a sovereign God. But when sovereignty means that God is running everything and everything that happens to you, I mean, everything. You wreck your car, God had a reason. That's very prominent in America today. That, that God, and, and here's the, and, and extreme predestination teaches that God picks and chooses who gets saved. Now, you might think that's not what the Presbyterians believe that, Congregationalists believe it, and the Baptist church split over that doctrine. They, the, the Southern, I don't know which one, because I was reading YouTube, I mean, not YouTube, but um, uh, internet. And they were talking about how that, that, that doctrine split the Baptist church right down the middle between free will and, and predestination. Now, anytime you hear a person, a charismatic, well, you know, all things work together for good. You know, they're talking about the doctrine of predestination. God is running everything. He's got it all in control. Well, if he does, he has it pretty screwed up. So where did all this come from? Because you've got family members. So let's get started and let's look at the scriptures that they use. Some of them are obvious and others, uh, you've got to really dig a little bit. You've got to know a little bit because it's, it appears like they're right. Okay. Ephesians chapter one, start with verse three. Blessed be the God of the Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that you should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us. See that? Now, we're going to read another one in a minute, but are you predestined? Well, if you mean by that, that God chose Debbie, but, but her, her, her brother, he didn't choose, so there's nothing he can do about it. He's going to go to hell because God said so. If you, that's what you mean by predestination, no. So what does this mean when it says he predestined? What he's saying is that God in his sovereignty chose that the only way to be saved is Jesus. 
Now, that's a sovereign move of God. That's that He's sovereign, and he did that. But he did not choose who does get saved and who does not. So this is not talking about people are predestined to either be saved or not. He predetermined how you would do it. And that's all this means. So the word predestination, though it's a Bible word, you can't take it and make it say something else. Do you all see that in there? Okay, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ, not any other way, to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, it was his will that you do that, but it was not his will that some be saved and not. To, to the praise of the glory of the grace which he's made us accepted in the beloved, in him we have redemption through the blood, no other way, forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both are in heaven and on earth in him. So in him, that's in Jesus, having also obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will. Now you can understand that what he's referring to here is that God predetermined, predestined, predetermined that everybody that gets saved would come through Jesus. Do you all see that? It's just plain, it's plain as a nose on, on your face. Actually, it's not real difficult to see that. So having said that, the, the word predestination. Now, I want, you to, I want you to look at 2 Peter 3, 9, and I want you to remember this because in a moment, we're going to go through some scriptures that look like predestination is correct. How do you know that it's not? Look at this scripture. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering toward us, not willing any should perish, but all come to repentance. So does he want everybody saved? Absolutely he wants everybody saved. Now, in a moment, we're going to go down some scriptures. Let me make a statement to you. Anytime you're reading your Bible, and, and, we'll, and I'll get into this in a minute. There are, you need to understand the Bible was not written in English. Jesus was not English, mate. And, uh, and, um, and so it was written in Hebrew and it was written in Greek. And, and it's really very, very, very difficult when you translate any language from one language to another to get everything dead accurate. I mean, it, ju- it just is. Now, I know you're looking at me going, you mean the Bible's not accurate? Well, absolutely, it is accurate. It is the word of God. This is the reason why we have different translations that we read because sometimes a word has more than one meaning. Uh, We use the word love, but the Greek has four words for love. So we say we love peanut butter and we love God. Well, that doesn't mean we love peanut butter as much as God or God as much as peanut butter, but the the Greek language is the word eros and storge and agape and phileo. There's four words for love. Well, when you translate it into English, it's very difficult to do. You only have one word to translate it. So what's going to happen is you're going to start seeing, anytime you see a scripture that does not appear, you're reading it and going, wait a second. Always go back, and I don't want you to turn over there, to Hebrews chapter 1, and he says that Jesus is the express image of the glory of God. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. So you can stack up anything you're reading against Jesus. I mean, is he the perfect image of, of God? Absolutely he is. So anytime you're reading something that doesn't seem to sound right, you have to back up and go, well, hold on a minute. This doesn't seem to, to match the character of God. Now, God is love, isn't he? All right. Let me, let me make a statement to you about love. If God, let's say Kenny calls me up and says, Pastor, um, I need you to come over to my house and, and take me, you know, to work today. And my, my truck broke. And I, and I say, well, Kenny, I can, but I don't want to. Well, that means I don't love him. But if, if, he say, if I say, Kenny, I want to, but my truck's broke too. Yeah. 
All right, when we start talking about healing, it's amazing how many people will blame God for things. And if it's true, he doesn't love you. So you see a lot of doctrines you've got. Is he, do you really believe that God is love? Well, he's not going to go around killing people and making people sick, is he? And he's not going to send people to hell and go, I'm God, you're going to hell, I don't give a rip what you think. So, so you've, got to, you've, got to, you've got to use the Bible to, when, when you're reading the Bible, does it make sense with the rest of the Bible? If you read something and you go, well, that doesn't even make sense. Well, you know, stack it up with everything else you're reading. So if it's wrong, go back and find out why it's not, it doesn't sound right. Are you all out there? Okay. Now, now. Understand something. Um, anyway, Romans, go, go to Romans 9. Um, John Calvin was a, was a um, revivalist that lived between 1509 and 1564. He was a French theologian, and he preached in Geneva, Switzerland. He was French, and he, he believed in the uncompromised sovereignty of God. Now, 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 let's stop for a minute and think for a minute because he was dealing he was preaching against Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I'm not here to tell you that I'm anti-Catholic. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not picking on Catholics. I'm just telling you history that he was dealing with a church that was selling salvation. Yes. That's what he was doing. So did he have all of his doctrines right? Well, in 1500s, no. He didn't even have the 700 Club on TV. He didn't have cares he could go to. He didn't have, you know, so he's doing the best he can, but he got a hold of Luther's uh, information on the just live by faith, and, and he found out that, that people could actually be saved. But reading the Bible, he began to notice that God is a sovereign God, and he is. He made Adam when he wanted to make Adam. He made Eve when he wanted to make Eve. And it appears as though there's an order to things, and God's running things. But he's not running everything. So here, here is the clincher as I begin to read. Now, now think for a moment because we, our, our church, you know, here, we are tongue-talking, devil-chasing, holy-rolling, charismatic, Pentecostal sort of. And I'll explain in a minute why we're really, well, well that's not really true either. Not as long as y'all have on makeup, we're not. Amen. So, in, 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 the, in the times that's gone up, we, we had two basic denominations or doctrines that affected America, and that was Calvinism and Armenianism. Now, both of them, now the, Ar- the Methodists were primarily Armenians. Now, that's another guy that, that was a theologian back in the day, and he preached holiness. It was Jesus, plus you better be living right. And, and so Calvinism, it doesn't matter because God picks you and there's nothing you can do about it. You're going to heaven whether you like it or not. And extreme Calvinism is wrong. There's a certain part of Calvinism that is true. Both, both men had some truth. And that's, that's where there's a, a booger. I don't mean that to be vulgar, but I had a horse named Booger. Because when you go into churches, there's a lot of things they say and do that are right. But that doesn't mean everything. If you're still, if you're still learning from a, from a man who was studying the 1500s, I, I got news for you. I think we moved a little bit beyond that. So today, in our society today, people like Kenneth Hagin, um, Andrew Womack, um, uh, who else? Uh, E.W. Kenyon. As, as they've matured, as we came through Azusa Street, people started getting filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. Holy Spirit started teaching men more of the Bible. We begin to learn about trichotomy. That's what man is a spirit, has soul, lives in a body. So once we learn that man is a spirit and that spirit is perfect, but also man has a soul and it's imperfect, then, then we started understanding holiness better. But you understand there was a time in American history where man did not have a grasp on spirit, soul, and body. I mean, no, nobody, I mean, one group preached that, you know, you're not holy. You're just an old sinner saved by grace and you just got forgiven. That's all you are is a forgiven sinner. And that's all the knowledge they had come to Jesus and get forgiven. Were people saved? Yes, but they didn't use the word get saved. As a matter of fact, the Lutherans never even gave altar call. Martin Luther said, if you get saved, we will see it by your life. And that's where the Baptist had to come along and go, yeah, all of y'all are good, but you're not saved. So, so 
every generation where we, we get a hold of more truth, we learn more. And there was another doctrine that came along called the authority of the believer. When Jesus started teaching us that sickness is a work of the enemy, not God, and we as a Christian have the name and we have authority over all the work of the enemy, then these doctrines begin to change. See that? So the faith movement has actually brought some of that back into alignment. Now, we have churches right here in Apopka that call us, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. And they think that we're off our rocker. Because who are you telling God what to do? Well, it's obvious that, that they, don't, they don't believe the way we believe. But to them, everything is up to God. We just go to God. If, you're, if the devil's bothering you, go talk to God. If the, if, everything is a, is a prayer mission. There's never talking to a mountain. They don't talk to trees. They don't talk to mountains. That's kind of hokey. So, so they don't understand that, that in, in, in God's sovereignty, and this is the clincher, God gave you authority over the enemy, and God will never do anything about the devil if you don't. And those are truths that we have learned and we read it. But see, the rest of the body of Christ does not have that truth. They don't, you walk out of here, you've got family members going, oh, God, get the devil off me. Oh, Jesus. And you're wasting your time. Because he told you to resist the devil, told you to cast out devils, and told you to use the name of Jesus on the devil. There's nothing in the New Testament that God will do anything about the devil. That's right. He's your enemy, he's your problem, take care of him. So there's a lot of these things that we preach, and plus when you start preaching in Christ, who you are in Christ, very, very different that you are a new creation and you are righteous. Now I had a man, came to this church for a short while, and one Wednesday night I got up and preached that you are righteous. Well, he got all torqued. Because how dare me stand up and say we are righteous. So he went to another church in Apopka and asked that pastor what he thought of me. Took his wife and moved. Naturally, that Morgan guy is off his rocker. I mean, there's none righteous, no, not one. And so I got a letter from him about two, three, or four weeks ago inviting me over to a conference so his pastor could help me. You know, I get this all the time. Kenneth Copeland said when he started preaching righteousness that, that he caught more flack. See, we catch more flack. I catch more flack from Christians than sinners any day of the week and twice on Sunday. The biggest trouble I have is Christians. They're, sometimes they're just crazy. But, but because we come from so many varied backgrounds, you understand I'm teaching a classroom with kindergarten all the way to college at one time. And that makes it very, very difficult to do. That's why we have a foundations class so we can go back and say, Dick, Dick's chased spot and spot tastes chicken. We can go back to some foundations and get you rooted. Amen. So we're going to go to Romans 9 and we're going to, we're going to go, we're going to go somewhere tonight. Hallelujah. We're going to read the whole chapter. Are you all ready? Yeah. yeah. This is like a big booga booga right here. I didn't say booger again, Tanya. All right. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I tell you the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and continued grief in my heart. I wish I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, the countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom pertains the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. To whom are the fathers to whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all eternally blessed. Amen. Now, I want to I I stop right there because I'm going to read something else to you. Romans 9, the point of Romans 9 is to show the church why the Jews are not saved by keeping law, but the Gentiles are by grace. Do you all see that? That's, that's what Romans 9 is about. If you try to take it and make it say something else, it's going to confuse you. I'm going to prove that to you. So, so let's go down to Romans 10. Um, no, Romans 9... 30. 
before we read. What shall I say then that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith, but Israel pursued the law of righteousness and has not obtained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I'm going to lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Brethren, chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that they would be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. For they are ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Verse 4. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness, which is the law, and says the man who does them shall live by them. But, the right, but of the righteousness that speaks this way, don't say in your heart who's going to send to heaven and bring him down. And that's the prayer that you, we use that to get people saved. So, so if you understand, are y'all getting this? Am I boring you? Romans 9 is, is Paul is, is trying to make a point because when Jesus came, now I want you to think about, it's, it, we're, when we watch Jesus, we're not bothered by anything he says because we're Gentiles. But when Jesus was on the earth, nobody believed that God was their daddy. Not, not a Jew, not a Pharisee, nobody believed it. And it was blasphemy to think so. So we read our Father who art in heaven, and you don't realize that prayer got him nailed to a cross. You don't call God your Father. Who do you think you are? You see, see how us Gentiles, we're going, Hey, cool. He's God. To the Jews, that was blasphemy. So when you're reading the Sermon on the Mount, you need to read it through the eyes of a Jewish man. He is talking. Now, I want you to think about this. You came to church one night, and I stood up and said, you heard Jesus say, but I'm telling you what I say. How would that affect you? You'd like, I ain't never going back down. That guy is crazy. He is crazy. He is saying that Pastor Morgan said he's above Jesus. Now, that, now I would say it would it'd clean the church out. It wouldn't take but one Sunday. It, we, it, it, this place would be empty the next week. But Jesus did that. Yes. He said, you heard Moses, but I say. Yeah. Now, y'all are reading the Sermon on the Mountain thing. It's a pretty little nice. He's sitting on the, he is, he is bucking everybody. Who do you think you are? He said, well, you saw that guy that was dead. Now, yeah, we got the dead guy down. We got that. We don't know how you pulled that. But, you, but, but you're running around saying that who, are you, who do you think you are? So the Jews rejected Jesus because they held on to the belief that keeping the law made them righteous. A lot of scriptures in the Bible that we read and they make no sense to us because we're Gentiles. Right. When Jesus talked about the rich man in hell, rich people didn't go to hell. Mm -hmm. If you're rich, you're righteous. If you're poor, you're not. Right. You're poor because you're a sinner and you're rich because you, and that's proof. That's why the rich young ruler wouldn't give up his money because he thought his money was making him righteous. See, we're reading that and thinking, but we have no idea the culture Jesus was preaching in. So Paul is still dealing with this situation, but he's writing to the Romans, which are Gentiles, this book of Romans. And he's saying, I'm going to explain to you how faith in Jesus is the way to get saved. Are y'all excited about that? Well, you should be excited about that because that's the way you get saved. So without the letters of Paul, we would not have any idea what Jesus did. You don't learn what Jesus did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Even his disciples at the cross had no idea what was going on. They had no idea that he was, he was going up there to, to, to die for sin. 
had no idea what they just thought. Well, he got himself killed. What in the Sam Hill is going on here? It wasn't until he rose from the dead, he started explaining it. And then he said, I got a lot to say to you, but I don't have time. I'm going to send the Holy Ghost and he's going to teach you. And then the, the letters of Paul are the continuation of the teaching of Jesus that you could not handle because you were not born again. They didn't make sense to you. The world did not know that salvation would be the mercies of God. All right. Are y'all getting this? All right. Now, here's the, now, now as we read, you're going to read and go. Oh, my God. Are you all ready to read? Romans 9, 6. But it is not the word of God that has taken no effect, for they're not all Israel who are Israel, nor all the children because they're the seed of Abraham. In other words, being Jew doesn't make you saved. But in Isaac, your seed will be called. That is those who are children of the flesh who are not of the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. In other words, the seed was in Isaac, not Abraham. He's the seed. And the seed is Jesus. For this is the word of promise that at that time I'm going to come and Sarah will have a son. Not only this, but when Rebekah also conceived by one man, even our father Isaac. For the children, not yet born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election, underline the word election because it sure looks like predestination there to me, doesn't it? Doesn't that look like predestination to you? According to election, that means that God is fixing to pick one over the other whether they do anything good or bad. That's the way it looks, doesn't it? Let me finish reading. I want you to get this. All right, am I going too fast? Verse 11, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, nor of works, but of him who calls. For it was said, the older shall serve the younger. Now, he is making a reference here to the Jews will serve the Gentiles, and he's calling Jacob the Gentiles and Esau Jews. Do you all see that? He's saying, the, now, now, okay, okay, let me, let me read it. As it is written, Jacob I loved and Esau I've hated. And they haven't even been born yet. So if you're reading it at face value, it looks to me like God has just predetermined who, he, I just hate Esau. Why? I just hate him. Right? Well, you have to go back in the Old Testament and you've got to read about Jacob and Esau. And what did God see that caused him, even at birth, to choose? Was it them? Yes. Did God choose the Jews to reject Jesus so you could get saved and they went to hell? Did he do that? No, he did not. They rejected Jesus. What do you think he did for three and a half years walking down here? Doing everything in his power to get them to see it. But they're the ones that rejected him, right? He's despised and rejected. So hold your place there. Don't go anywhere. And um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Genesis 25, verse 23. Pop that on the screen. I don't want to turn there. I'm just going to put it on the screen. And the Lord said, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples are separated from your body. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. I think, go to 24. Oh, that's too much. I got to go over there. I got to go over there. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I need, a, I need a Catholic priest to confess my sins to right this minute. Okay, I'm joking. I've had people just leave the church because I was picking on the Catholics. I can't believe they're picking on the Catholics. Well, I'm a Catholic. All right. All right, yeah, I wanted to know. Verse 27. As the boys grew, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a mild man dwelling in the tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate the game, and Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, Jacob cooked stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me of the same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom, or red. And Jacob said, Sell me your birthright. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die, so what big deal is a birthright? And Jacob said, swear to me as this day. And so he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and a stew of lentils, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Esau despised his birthright. What was it God saw in Esau even though he wasn't born yet? 
He don't think a thing in the world about this thing. This whole Jewish thing and covenant thing with God, it don't mean, I, I, listen, I'll sell you my whole Judaism for a bowl of beans. Yeah. It don't mean a thing to me. Do y'all see that? Yeah. Now, when you're reading in Romans, it sure looks like God just picked one. Yeah. But he picked one knowing them. But he made the statement, there's two nations in you, a younger and an older, and the birthright was guaranteed to the older, but he, re- he despised it. And so God picked the younger because he, he wanted the birthright. So what he's talking about here is that when the Gentiles heard the gospel, we ran after what the Jews rejected. And so Paul is trying to explain to the Romans that the reason God is having mercy on you is because you're receiving Jesus and the Jews rejected Jesus. Do y'all see that? That's all that he's saying here. He's not saying, I don't like Esau, just send him to hell. It would appear, but you have to go back and read your Bible and find out what it was that God, why did God say that? So, okay, are are y'all getting this? This is called study to show yourself approved. Because if you don't study, you all know this stuff. You just read and go, there you go. Predestination. God just did I don't like him. Kill him. (laughs) Now it gets worse. Verse 14. What can I say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he said to Moses, I'll have mercy on whoever I want to. And I'll have compassion on whoever I will have compassion on. So then it's not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but God who shows mercy. So what did he just say? Now, here's, now I want you to think about this. Here's a Jew who's like Paul, who's been a Jew all of his life. I mean, he's been to synagogue. He's kept the law. He's got all these things, all, all these things, all these things. And then Peter goes to Cornelius' house, which is a total heathen. Eats pork, doesn't keep the Sabbath, and cusses. And he goes, I believe in Jesus, and God has mercy on him and forgives him. And all of the Jews that went with Peter went, what are you even doing in a Gentile's house? So when the gospel, when Paul started preaching to the Gentiles, he got called on the carpet by the, see, the, the Jews didn't even believe the Gentiles could even be saved. They, to them, they don't, you don't even touch them. But it says, God so loved the world, the world, the whole world. So the Jews were to give us the gospel to the world, not just to their self. So this statement, I'll have mercy on who I want to, is not talking about I'm going to pick and choose who I have mercy. But if I want to give mercy to someone because they believe in Jesus, it's none of your business. It's my life. I'll give it to who I want to. And that's what he's saying. If I want to get all the hookers in the world saved by grace, that's none of your business. Do you remember the story Jesus told about the guy that worked eight hours and he gave him, you know, a day's wages and the guy came and worked four hours, gave him a day's wage and the the guy came and worked one hour, gave him a day's wage. So the guy that worked eight said, hey, wait a minute, you're going to give me more money? He said, nope, you agreed to a day's. But if I want to give this other guy eight hours for working one, that's none of your business. It's my money. Do y'all see? It's his mercy. He wants to give it to the heathen. He can give it to the heathen. This is where they're getting the predestination from. God, yeah, I'll show you, he just, he, 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 he just absolutely couldn't stand Esau. Go to hell, buddy. I don't care. You know, you just have red hair, and I don't like red-headed people. <laughs> That's not consistent with the nature of God. That's what causes you to read and go, ah, that ain't right. I got to study this out. There ain't no way in the world God just kicked him out of the kingdom because he had red hair. All right, are y'all okay? That's verse 17. For the scripture says of Pharaoh, it's fixing to get worse. For this purpose I raised you up so I could show my power in you, that my name would be delivered in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills and he'll harden who he wants to harden. Oh my God, there he goes one more time. I mean, he's hardening people's heart. So he raised up Pharaoh to use him as example, send him to hell, even though Pharaoh was a really good guy. No, no. Are y'all, going, are y'all out there? Now, now, I'm telling you, 
Now, here's, here's what happens with predestination people. They don't know anything's in the Bible but Romans 9. They've done the same thing that other people. They just tore Romans 9 out and said, this is the whole Bible right there. God is sovereign. He, does, he just does what he wants to. But that is not true. So what about Pharaoh? Well, I don't have the time to get into all of Pharaoh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip over there and read you. Well, let me finish reading this. And so you say to me, then why does God find fault? Who can resist his will? Verse 18, therefore he has mercy on whom he wants to, and, he, and, he, and who he wills, he hardens. All right, now, you understand that I said to you that the, that the Bible was written in Greek and it was written in Hebrew. In the Hebrew language, the term God caused it is not in their language. God allowed it. So, so let me explain it to you because we're going to read. When he says, I'm going to go down to Pharaoh and I'm going to harden his heart. Now, what if, what if I said, I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to make Lisa mad. Because I know we're going to get into talk about something and when I get finished, she's going to be mad at me. I'm going to go to Tennessee and I'm going to be gone for six months. And I know she's going to get mad, but I know she's, you know. Now, I'm making, I'm, I would say, I'm going to make her mad. Well, I'm not making her mad. She's already mad. I mean, I'm just told her something she didn't want to hear. But I'm not leaving for six months. But do y'all have people like that that you talk to and you go, if you say that to them, you're going to make them mad. Well, you're not, you're not the one making them mad. But you did bring it up. So God went down and picked a fight with Pharaoh. Hey, Pharaoh, you got my people. I'm going to come down there and I'm fixing to make you mad. But did he make him mad? No, he already had a hard heart. So, so let me say it to you another way. If the sun comes out and it hardens clay, it melts wax. That's not the sun's fault. That's the clay's fault and the wax's fault. So when God shows up, there are some people that harden and there are some people that soften up. But the fact that he showed up is what brought it out. So when you're reading this, now, now you've got to go to Genesis are y'all okay? Because I'm trying my best, and I know some of y'all are going to leave here and go, I think I believe in predestination tonight after he preached. <laughs> I read in the Bible, God just hardened his by God heart. I mean, he's just a bad God. <laughs> oh, where am I? Where am I, Jesus? Help me, Jesus. Exodus 3. Let me, let me, let me. I'm, I'm going to read these to you, and I'm going to go fast because I'm not even going to put them on the screen. 3.19, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard. Verse 22, and that day I set myself the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, and swarms of flies will be there in order that I may know that I am the Lord and in the midst. I'm going to make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this is going to be a sign to you. In verse 32, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And in um, 9.21, but he did not regard the word of the Lord, and he left his servants and his livestock in the field, and only the land of Goshen where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And then it goes over there in 21, says, and the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand. And then it says, and, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. So did God harden it? Well, made him mad. But is he, when, he, when he came down to Pharaoh, he was dealing with a man so full of pride. Pharaoh hardened his heart, but he wouldn't have hardened it had he not showed up. So that's, what, that's why that Hebrew verbiage is, is making it in English look like caused. he caused it. Yeah. Do y'all see that? They're, they're the Engl and I know that sounds hokey, but you, you can't always translate something from Hebrew and Greek into English and it says it right. Now, let me give you all a perfect example. May the 3rd, I married Lisa. May the 3rd, I went to Taco Bell. They're both English. I married Lisa, and I'm still married, but I went to Taco Bell, and I'm not still there. Do you all see that? The English language has a lot to be desired. It's not as perfect as you all think it is. So, so what happens is when you take something into English, sometimes it doesn't say it. 
I hope that made sense. Because there's, there's, there's words in the Hebrew, you can't bring it into English. It just doesn't compute. So God did not harden Pharaoh's heart. It did not, it did not cause, he didn't say, Pharaoh, I, I, listen, Jack, I, I, I raised you up to send you to hell. Ha, ha, ha. I'm God. I'll do what I want to. Because that's inconsistent with the fact that God is love. We just got through reading. He doesn't have a desire. So actually, y'all don't know this, but a lot of Egyptians came out of Egypt. They joined the Jews. They got in the, they, they said, can we go with y'all? And they said, yeah, hey, yeah, come on. And they left. They, they called proselytes. They became Jewish. God, God wanted them to. I mean, he wanted them. All right. Does that help y'all even a little tiny bit? All right. All right. Now, let's go back to Romans 9 because I need to finish this up. All right. One more. Verse 20, indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the things that's formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another one for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with such long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for his glory? Boy, that sounds like he's just picking and choosing to me. So go now, I'm not going to do this, but go back in the Old Testament and read the scriptures on the potter and the wheel. What is the story of the potter and the clay? There is grades of clay. There is excellent grades of clay, and there is clay that's left. And, you, and the potter does not really know everything about the clay until he starts working with it. And once he takes the clay and he's going to make a vase for the king and it's going to, he's going to sell it to him for a thousand bucks. So he orders the best clay he can because this is going to be the pot of pots. It's going to be a vase for the queen and he's going to make this. And right in the middle of putting it on the wheel, he keeps running into sand. He's turning it and he gets ding, ding. Oh, shoot. This clay. I can't use this clay. But he's not going to throw the clay away. He goes, you know what? I'm going to make a less expensive vessel, but it won't be for the queen. I'm just going to make a nice one. And I can't use this clay for that. All right, now I'm going to explain something to y'all. You remember when he was talking about the talents? One had 10, one had 5, one had 1. Have you ever noticed I'm not on TV? Thank y'all. Apparently, I'm not a 10-talent guy like Copeland. But I'm okay with that. God looked at me and said, ah, he got some flaws. TV? Oh, shoot, no. <laughs> Nobody in here understood a thing I said. But he did look at me and go, but I can use him in a pop car. I mean, nobody's ever heard of a pop car. He'll be safe there. I mean, those people down there, they'll just take anything. They're like, you know, they'll eat anything. We'll send Daryl to, to a pop car. No, no. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. You're in this church too. And you ain't on TV either. There are people, God is not going to not use you. He is going to use you every way he can. I have five children. I love all of them. But OMG, are they different. I don't treat them the same. Because you can't. You love one more than the other. No. One of them, you better not send him to the store for the biscuits because he ain't never coming back with them, you know. The other one does exactly what I say. You know, Ashley, she, when she was growing up, you told her not to do something. She did it just to see how bad of a whipping she'd get. And Che, Che was always studying all summer to get ready for school so she would make good grades. You understand, they're different kids. Now, Ashley has since gotten saved. Thank you, Jesus. And she's turned out to be quite a woman of God. But you know, but you know, we all got, God's got kids. And so that's the story of the clay. If God picks one person for this and picks that one, that's his business. But it's not because he picked a, well, Pharaoh, I'm a good guy. I don't give a rip if you're good, you're going to hell. So, guys, 
Do y'all see that? So Paul is, all Paul's doing is making an argument for mercy versus law. That's all that he's doing. And he, and, and naturally he's saying things that we're reading and going, I told you God did it. He did it by God knocked him off the bicycle and, and oh, he, he knew he wasn't going to make heaven if he didn't knock him in the head. Now, where does, this, where does this affect us? Do you know that I would say one out of every three people that walk in this church, their first testimony is how God screwed their whole life up to get them saved? Wow. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, God had to take me to hell and back to get me saved. No, he didn't. You did. But that, see, that, that doctrine in this nation, honey, it is strong in this nation. Well, you never know what God will do. What is that? That's Calvinism. That's predestination. That's blaming God. He's running and he's the one got this all screwed up. Screwed up my life, but I got saved. Ha, ha, ha. Glory to God. He didn't screw your life up. You did. And somebody was praying for you because he loves you, and then you came and got saved. But he didn't cause all the hell. You could have obeyed God, and you'd have gotten saved. But no, you had to go down the wrong path like a numbnut. But God loved you and had people praying for you because he's a good God. All right, here's another one. Now you know all things are working together for the good. And this is on charismatic teachers on TBN. All things are working together for your good. That's a lie from hell. He's talking there about if you pray in the spirit, all things will work together for your good. If you're not praying about it, it ain't working for your good, honey. It's, the devil's kicking your backside. And, that, and I'm talking, that's a charismatic doctrine. In faith and word churches. And see, the, the reason why some of y'all have never gotten healed is you're just waiting on God in his good time because he determines when you get healed and when you don't. And that doctrine's got you screwed up. And you brought it with you and you're stuck in it and it's hard to get you out of it. The fact that he already died and, and the devil's the one making you sick, so why don't you get on the devil tongue to get his filthy hands off you? In the name of Jesus, you get that sick. Get that off of me. No weapon formed against me. I'm not having that. It's not mine. Now, that's what we teach. If you don't like that rock, move it. Oh, that's that name of claimant group down there. You don't want to go over there. They're crazy. I mean, they act like they're just going around telling God what to do. I don't understand that, but you know, you don't want to go down there in that place. I mean, they're bossing God around. Not only that, they fall out in the power and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's crazy. That's crazy. I don't know why in the world anybody want to fall down in the power. Who's take a look at me? Anyway, anyway, just stay here. We'll take care of you. You're going to be going down there with them crazy people. <laughs> There's a division in the body of Christ, ain't it? Yeah, there is. You know, there's one preacher, I was sitting at lunch with him one day, and he said, you know, Jesus prayed that we'd all be one. He said he never got that prayer answered. I said, bless your darling little heart and your ignorant head. He was talking about redemption when he died on the cross. We became one in Christ. You're not talking about everybody agreeing. And I'm sitting there going, I'm not even going to get in with you. Just pass the potatoes and just, the Bible says, let them that are ignorant stay ignorant. You just stay ignorant. I'm eating the potatoes. I mean, I'm just, I'm not even going to get in this with you. God Almighty, you're a pastor? Oh, help us, Jesus. <laughs> All right, now, I got a, how much time I got? Oh, it's eight o'clock. I got some more time right here. <laughs> Go to Acts 1. I want to show you this. So I, I, I read a while ago the end of this where I showed you that really all he's talking about is the fact that the Jews rejected Jesus and the Gentiles received Jesus. And that's, that's, what, that's all Romans 9 is trying to tell you. It, it's not trying to prove to you that God is kicking people's backside and when he wants to because he's God. All right. Acts chapter 1. I want to read something to you. 
<laughs> if y'all haven't had much fun listening to this, I am preaching it. Now, now when y'all got up in the mountains of Tennessee, don't you take your CD up there and put it in the mountain. I'm going to tell you right now. That's the most, those people have more bondages than the devil. They don't play, we don't play no music in our churches and God is running everything. I mean, you realize, I mean, they're dark and see, there's a lot of this stuff that's ingrained in areas of the United States. It's, it's, it's thick. You never know what I was in a house, house one time and this guy was, took his daughter up in the tree stand and, um, they were looking at a deer and while she was looking through the scope, he pulled the trigger and the girl just blacked her little, how old was she, Lisa? Five, six Blacked her eye up. So during, during the Bible study, they said, well, you never know why God did that. I, I, I'm, I, I told Lisa, I said, it, I said, just get me out of here because I'm fixing to tear this Bible study up. <laughs> God busted that kid's eyeball, and we don't know why he did it, but he had a reason. I mean, I've actually felt like cussing every once in a while. <laughs> y'all, are the, y'all are dumber than rocks. <laughs> And I'm going to tell you, love is patient. Love is kind. Sometimes you better get out. I've enjoyed seeing, have a good day. I'm leaving. <sighs> Hallelujah. I walked out and said, Lisa, they need prayer. And we went home and prayed for them too. And these, and never mind. These are friends. At, well, we call them friends. We're a cult to them. <laughs> Isn't this fun? So I'm going to show you that God is a sovereign God. <laughs> Acts 1 6. It says they were talking about the baptism, they were talking about Jerusalem. Therefore, when he came together, they asked this, Are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? And he said, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father put in his own authority. There, there are things that God didn't give to the church. And it is in his authority. There, he is a sovereign God. He chooses when he comes back. He chooses. But he's not picking who's getting saved. That's right. Amen. Now, does, is God in control? If you gave him control, he's in control. That's why you need to come out of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. So God would have a say-so in what's happening in your life. If you're going to keep running away from God, your life's going to screw up. I don't care. It's just that that's what's going to happen. And you chose that. All right, God doesn't control it. James chapter one, verse 12. I want to read this so that you'll, you'll see where I'm, where, why I'm saying that that couldn't be God knocking Pharaoh in the head, picking Pharaoh to hurt him. James 1, 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. When he has been approved, he'll receive the crown of life that God promised those who love him. But let nobody say, when he's tempted, I was tempted by God. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone with evil. God has never tempted you with evil. It's, it's, he's incapable of doing it. The problems you're having, he's not doing it to teach you something. If he is, why are the people in the hospital so stupid? God is really screwing them up because he's got them all up there to teach them something and they're still dumb as rocks. I mean, anybody was saying, yeah, just think about things people say. You'd have to look and go, there's no way that's true. Is God just incapable of teaching anymore? And it's costing them a lot of money for the, to be taught that? Never mind. And I can't imagine how many of them are going to hell after God spent all that time teaching them in the hospital. Absolutely stupid. All right, verse 14, each one is tempted when you're drawn away by your own desires. And when desire conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin's full grown, it brings death. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift, how many? And every perfect gift comes from above, down from the Father lights in whom there is no. If it ain't good and perfect, it didn't come from God. All right, now see, even that alone, you're reading that and going, well, Romans 9, you, eh, there's something not right right here. All right, now let's go to another scripture real quick. Um, 
Um, the scriptures that I wanted, if y'all are taking notes, Isaiah 64, 8 and Isaiah 45, 9 talk about the clay. Okay, I, I didn't tell you that. Now, um, go to Exodus 17, 6. Are we doing good for time? Good. I've got time. Exodus 17, 6. Now I'm going to show y'all something. Kenny likes new information that he never heard before. Kenny's a Bible junkie. You know that? Kenny's like, I'll find something cool in this book right here. So when I say something cool, Kenny goes, oh, that, I love that right there. I'm picking on Kenny tonight. I've got to pick on Tanya. 17.6. I picked on her last week, but she wasn't here. You start coming when I'm talking bad about you. All right. Exodus 17, God sent Moses into the wilderness, and they had no water. Verse 6, behold, I'm going to stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you'll strike the rock, and water will come out, and the people will drink. What do you say do to the rock? Hit, hit it. All right, now, go to Numbers 20. I want you to see it in your Bible. I don't want you to, the reason I'm telling you to turn to it, I want you to see it. Mark your Bible with all kinds of colors. So it'll be color-coded and look like you've been in first grade. Numbers 20. You know, I get to pray in the Holy Ghost. I get goofy. Numbers 20. I want you to see this. Moses was not name it, claim it. He was not a blab it, grab it preacher. Got him in trouble too. Numbers 20, verse 7. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, look, take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, Gather the congregation and do what to the rock? Speak. Speak. Yeah. Why? Okay, now you listen to me. Jesus has been crucified once. We're not killing him again. That's right. There's only one time we're going to slay. There's, we're going we're to strike that rock once. And don't you ever strike it again. So the prayer, oh God, heal me. You are beating the rock. What do you want him to do? Come down here and down across for you? Or are you going to accept that you can speak to the sickness now? Yes. Are y'all getting this? It is no longer okay to beat the rock. Y'all, this is good. So let's read what happened. Speak to the rock. Before their eyes, and it'll yield its water, and you'll bring water out of the rock and give them to drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord and commanded, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said, Here now, you bunch of rebels. Must we bring water out of this rock? And he lifted his hand and he struck it. Twice. Water came out abundantly, the congregation of their animals. And the Lord said to Moses, Because you did that, you are not going in the promised land. Whoa. What do you think God thinks of you running around nailing Jesus to the cross every week? We need to believe God. We're going to pray for the healing. We're going to pray for the healing. Hey, listen, he's already done it. All he told you, he told you from now on after he died and sat down, that is done. You want it? Speak to that thing. Sickness, go. Healing, come. You're to speak to the rock. Don't you be beating on this rock anymore. We got whole congregations. They're prayer meeting. They're just beating on the rock. They're not going in the promised land because they're doing it wrong. Why don't y'all don't shout me down? Well, that's those people who run around name and claim it. Absolutely we are. All right, Jesus spoke to the mountain. He said, if you say to this mountain, he didn't say go beat on it anymore. You don't need to beat on it anymore. Jesus already died on the cross. If you want to get saved, you don't need to beat, you don't need to beat on the rock. Just come confess Jesus as Lord. You'll be saved with a mouth salvation, with the mouth righteousness. With your what? Your mouth. Are y'all getting this? Folks, and I need to get some time in here on Wednesday night and talk to y'all about speaking. Because if you're not talking to it, it ain't happening for you. I don't care how wonderful you are and how much you love Jesus. If you're not speaking the word, it's not happening. Your, your voice is the address of God in the spirit realm. When you wanted to get born again, he needed to hear your voice. 
I believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead. Jesus is Lord. Bam, you got saved. But not until you said it. I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I believe that, and I ask you to fill me. Thank you. And you started speaking. You didn't go beat on Jesus. Oh, I'm preaching better than y'all. Amen. Hallelujah. Anyway, I was going to read on Romans 8, 26. Let's go over there real quick. Let's, let's do this. Romans 8, 26. It is good preaching. Thank you. I just appreciate that. I'll take another donut. All right. No, I won't. Lisa goes, don't you eat no more damn donuts? All right. Make sure they're low calorie. No sugar donuts. I heard if you eat the donut hole, you don't get fat. And I started making donut holes. I pulled up the Dunkin' Donuts. I said, I, my wife told me that the donut hole don't make you fat, so I'll take 10. <laughs> I didn't really. I'm teasing. I'm going to be in trouble when I get home tonight. I done made her mad. All right, Romans 8. Let's read this real quick. I want to show it to you. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps you when you're weak. You do not know what you're praying about because you don't have enough knowledge in your head. But the Spirit, Holy Ghost, makes intercession with groanings which can't be uttered in articulate speech. Now, he who searches your heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he's going to make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And then when you're praying in tongues, you know that all things are working together for your good. Is God just sovereignly running everything? Absolutely not. Well, I don't know, but I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know how he's going to do it, but all things are going to work for your good. That's a lie. If you want them to all work together for good, then surely has a Monday night prayer meeting. Get in here and pray about it in the Holy Ghost. Pray over your kids in the Holy Ghost. Pray over yourself in the Holy Ghost. I get all my sermons praying in the Holy Ghost. Well, good, what do you want me to do? I'll pray and all of a sudden I'll start praying it out. All of a sudden I'll get a prompting, this scripture. And I go, oh, that's a good scripture, God. And I write them down and I preach them. I get my sermons praying in the Holy Ghost. Whenever y'all are going through the day and, and some person pops up, pray over them. Holy Spirit is prompting you. Pray over that person. They've been led by the Holy Ghost. God is using you because God can't move unless you ask him. Boy, I'm going to tell you, that a hair lip. I, I got to preach at the Republican prayer breakfast. OMG. Talking about messing people up. Baptists and Assemblies of God everywhere. It was crazy. And I walked in and I said, well, I want to thank y'all for allowing me to come here, but uh, my name's Pastor Darrell Morgan. I have a question. Is there anything God can't do? Everybody in the building said, yes, he can do anything. I said, and that's not true. Now, I want you to think about this. In, in 40 years, 45 years of being saved, when I look at people and say, can God do anything? 100% of them say yes. That's how dumb people are. They're, they're actually Bible ignorant. Yep. I said, what if I told you three things he can't? They'd go, fire away, buddy. I said, well, Titus 1, 2, he can't lie. And they go, we knew that. <laughs> when he can't die, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And he can't answer a prayer you didn't ask. And they go, I said, this is a prayer meeting. Why are we here? We should have you back. <laughs> and they found out I was name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, and never called me back again. <laughs> now I'm going to say something arrogant. It's tough being the only one, right? You don't believe I said that, do you? But I am. I didn't say I know everything. That sounds like pride, don't it? Well, I'll get forgiven of it right now. Let's go. I, I'm sorry. I'm in a mood. I'm just losing it up here. <laughs> no, it is true, though. I told the Lord when I got saved, I said, um, please make sure I get taught right. I don't understand a Baptist from a Methodist, from a Pentecostal, from a Catholic. I don't know squat. 
please make sure. And he, and he started me off and taught me. I mean, he would not let me go to church in my town for a year. He sat home, taught me the Bible. And I still rely on him. And, 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 I am, and I am right, I don't know everything. I don't know everything. But it's amazing when you study Andrew Walmat, good Baptist boy, when he started seeking God, he learned exactly the same thing I just preached. So did John G. Lake, so did Smith Wigglesworth, so did E.W. Kenyon, so did Copeland, so did Hagen. It's not new, but if you, any, anybody that'll listen to the Holy Ghost, the, the Holy Ghost will teach you what I just preached. Now, do y'all understand why I'm teaching doctrine? Because you're hearing this stuff and not really knowing where it, where is this coming from? And it may be affecting you. And I'm going to say something else. I know that y'all have people that go to church and they love the Lord and they want you to go with them. But it's a social club to them. They're not interested in following the Lord. They just want you to come, well, you're my friend. Well, th this is not the country club. You, now, y'all are going to deal with that. They don't even know what their church believes. But my friends all are here. Don't you ever do that. You go, so you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Don't you pick friends over truth. Amen. Now, you, you got a Bible. You got the Holy Ghost. If you want to know the truth, go find it. You dig in here, the Holy Spirit will teach you. Now, let me ask you another question. Did y'all learn anything? If not, was it fun? All of my jumping around and acting like I lost my mind. Amen. Amen. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the opportunity to preach and to share the Word of God with these precious saints in here tonight. Father, we have loved ones. We have family members. And um, they got all kinds of goofy things. And I pray, Father God, that the people in this room right now, that, that you'll teach us so that we can help them. We know how to pray. We know how to pray for them when they get in trouble. We know how to help them. And just use us to minister to them when they need it. We're not, we're not running around acting like we know more than them to be haughty, but we do know enough to help them when they get in trouble and ourselves. And we thank you, sir, for this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this powerful message by Pastor Daryl Morgan. We hope it blesses you. If you would like more info on Word of Life, sermons, and free downloads, please go to wordoflifeapopka.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.